Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast with your hosts, Richard Hill and Matthew Darlitz. Hello and welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. My name is Matthew Darlitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Science of Psychotherapy and as always here with Richard Hill, Managing Editor and good mate. Howdy, Richard. Howdy, Matt. I was just thinking, what if I didn't say anything? That'd, that'd be just really irresponsible. So I, I did say something. So that, that was great. But it is it is fun to be here. And we do that same introduction all the time. But, but you know, it's uh, familiarity, uh, comfort, and hopefully that's what we bring. Our regular podcast, people saying, oh, good, uh, the boys are on. And I'm excited to be here. Uh, and this is what I love, Matt, is uh, when we get through a bit of um, networking and a bit of someone suggesting uh, yeah. oh, we get lovely people putting themselves up. We get publishers putting people up. But this was from our lovely friend, John Arden, who, of mm-hmm. course, uh, is a lovely supporter of us and we're a lovely supporter of him. Uh, and he's just got a new book out, actually. He's got the, he's, he's got, we'll have to talk to him about that. Anyway, yes. but yeah. John Arden brought us in contact with this lovely guy, Jonah Paquette, who mm-hmm. is in uh, California now. Apparently he was on the East Coast in his, his early uh, academic career. And he talks about stuff I love, curiosity, wonder, awe. Tell us a bit about him, Matt. Yeah, so um, Dr. Jonah Paquette, uh, he is in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, he was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, so he's had a bit of a bit of a change across the country. And what he does is uh, focus on happiness. He's written two books on happiness. And now on awe, he is like an awe expert. He's just so <laughs> yeah. fascinating he's, to listen to. As we say, he's awesome. Yeah. He's, he but, is truly really awesome. He really is awesome, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so he really is awesome. So you will love this conversation. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I love. He's, he's come through positive psychology. He's come through. Um, uh, he worked with Kaiser Permanente. He knows uh, my friend Michael Hoyt as well. He works mm. with there. So lots of great connections. Uh, I guess, though, Matt, when, when we say we bring these wonderful people, we do have to remind everybody that it's a bit of time and effort, and we do really in, uh, love your support, just your moral support. But if you really want to support us, there's a few things you can do. What do you reckon, Matt? Yeah, so uh, one of the things you can do is jump across to the scienceofpsychotherapy.net. That is our academy site. And there we have over a decade of information that we've gathered together in the form of courses, videos, articles. There's a wealth of information there for the practicing therapist. Well, what we say is for the 21st century therapist. Um, and if you don't want to become a member, you there's there are some free things there as well. There's a free membership sign-on that you can dive into. Um, Or simply, you can just buy us a cup of coffee. So in the show notes here on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast, we have a button there to buy us a cup of coffee. So anyway, enough of the promotions for now, because (laughs) but we do have to do that because we're going to keep going uh, with this thing as best we can. And we love having you and our new open membership where uh, Mm. you could get access to things, not straight away, but the magazine, you know, a month later, really trying to increase our tribe. Uh, uh, because that's what's important. But for now, we're going to go over to the San Francisco area and we're going to talk to this fabulous fella, Jonah Paquette. Jonah Paquette, thank you so much for joining us here on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. It's so great to meet you. Yeah, honored to be here. Thanks so much for having me. 
Uh, no, it's Richard here, and and really nice to meet you. We're meeting you for the first time, but you're a good friend of a good friend of ours. Uh, John Arden has has let yep. us know about you, and because uh, uh, we love John, uh, so anyone he knows is is brilliant. Uh, now we've we've said a few things about you, John. It's really interesting. This this fabulous book. You're interested in happiness. You know this wonderful book, Awestruck. Um, but uh, we've said a few things. But could you just give us a bit of your uh, sense of yourself and and what got you into these uh, these areas and uh, got you writing these books? Yeah, great great question. So uh, yeah, I'm a clinical psychologist by trade. I'm out here in uh, California. Um, which is where I got to meet your our mutual friend, John. Um, I have spent, I would say, the last 15 years or so, really, you know, even as a clinical psychologist uh, working in more traditional settings, becoming really interested in other sorts of questions that maybe haven't always been the focus of, you know, people like myself, uh, really centering around questions of, you know, like, how do we live our best life? What does it mean to be happy? How do we achieve that? Um, and more recently, I started to get really intrigued by this unique emotion of awe. Uh, I started to learn more and more about it. Um, initially, like probably with many people, got into it on a more personal basis, just started to think back about some of my most meaningful peak experiences, uh, as Maslow would say, and started to think, you know, what is it about these moments that make make us want to go, wow, that are so magical and can they actually change us in ways inside and out? So I had a, a handful of those experiences that got me at least the ball rolling in my mind. And I decided to do a deep dive into it. And, you know, I've always loved, loved to learn through the process of writing. So I spent a couple of years learning everything I could about awe and wonder and how these moments can change us uh, in terms of our mental health, physical health, our relationships. And that formed the basis of awestruck. But yeah, over the past you know decade plus, I've I've written a few books on general well-being as well, and I would say my professional passion centers around that broader area of you know that question of how do we live our best life and and um, how do we all find a little bit more happiness in this often challenging uh, world. Yes, and of course you've two previous books before or were um, directly about happiness. Um, just very briefly, just just give us a bit of an outline of those. Yeah, so I wrote uh, Real Happiness, which was my first book, which is more of a self-help book, uh, really focusing on seven core principles for well-being, uh, including things like gratitude, mindfulness, forgiveness, and and a few more. Um, and then launching off from that, I would say it's a sort of a, a parallel, a, a companion book of sorts called The Happiness Toolbox, which is more geared towards clinicians um, and 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 for clients as well. So much more worksheets, handouts has about 50 plus uh, reproducible handouts and worksheets that you can use to really take many of these skills and put them into action. Because I think, you know, I like many of us, you hear interesting ideas and you think to yourself, well, how do I do that? And I wanted to make that super easy um, for clinicians and, and clients alike uh, and for the general public to say, hey, I want to learn, you know, five ways I can practice mindfulness more effectively or, or five, three ways that I can cultivate yeah. that muscle of gratitude. And that's what really formed the basis of that. So I've got real happiness, happiness tool, toolbox, awestruck. And then coming up in a few in a few months, I've got happily even after, uh, which is on, uh, focuses on uh, how to find well-being and joy following hardship. Um, a timely book, right. I think, just given the last few years as well. Fantastic. We'll have to look out for that once. Now I'll have to put you on the spot. Are you happy? 
Uh, great question. I get that sometimes. I would say I'm um, I'm I'm happy more often than I'm not. I I'm happier today than I was five ten years ago. You know, as a result probably of practicing these. But I think it's important to say you could be a you know. Uh, spend your life talking about happiness, writing about happiness, teaching people about happiness, and that does not make you immune to life. That does not make you immune yeah. to hardship and suffering. And, you know, I think actually in many respects, when we think about happiness, um, we do a disservice when we think of it as this exclusively, it's all about just feeling good all the time and never experiencing hardship. I mean, so often it's it's also the, the more difficult moments of life, the ability to overcome those challenges that actually leads us to be, you know, a more well-rounded, happier person uh, and more resilient person. So I think of it as, you know, we want to make room for the full experience while also cultivating certain habits that I think can make us feel more connected, more at peace, uh, more a greater sense of belonging and, and a greater sense of well-being. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great answer because I think if you, if you uh, have the illusion that we should be sort of bubbling over, you know, in blissful joy twenty four seven, I think that's a, that is a little bit of an illusion. Yeah, in some ways, I have a, a love hate relationship even with the word happiness, even though it's in two of my book titles uh, mm-hmm. and soon to be three. Because I think if we're talking about it in the way that I'm intending to talk about, it, and hopefully we'll get to that of like, what do we even mean by happiness? Um, I think that's one thing, but I, I do think a lot of us have this sort of Hollywood definition of happiness where it's all about just feeling good all the time and no no pain and, you know, just uh, every day feels wonderful and that's just not realistic. And I think when we have that expectation, it's just going to inevitably lead us to feel demoralized when we don't get it. Mm. Yeah, and this this is this is a huge amount of the um, we say the Hollywood uh, the thing the the Western world does a little mm. bit of uh, uh, about that as part of the you know we, div- we we we're doing this so we can all be happy and of course we've had these 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 wonderful fictional uh, uh, authors you know Huxley with a Brave New World whereas uh, okay we just have we just be happy all the time and of course we discover that 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 leads to shallowness and and then you get the dystopian ones the 1984s and so on and so forth and, and uh, you know we make you so scared to not be happy uh, you know that, that we make it banal uh, but I think there you, you you're saying this thing uh, maybe what is happiness a bit conceptual because uh, what I was going to say as we were talking and Matt was saying about uh, you know how do we do some of this and you're saying the practical activities what Matt and I talk a lot about um, is the importance of uh, uh, understanding left and right hemisphere uh, principles and foundations and that these conceptual, uh, expansive, more abstract uh, perceptions that come in the right hemisphere, plus these really practical activities and ways of doing things and then the actualizing of it with the left hemisphere. And it's the flow between which, yeah. which makes the positive work. So... We'll get into a couple of some of the practicals uh, in a second. So let's just grasp some of these uh, the, these concepts and uh, uh, what you sort of came down. Because I, I think there's a lot of words that get hijacked. Uh, yeah. uh, and we talk about this responsibility instead of it being responsibility and various other things, hope, love. Uh, and I think happiness is a big one of those that um, uh, people uh, say it's an illness not to be happy, so on and so forth. So. Let's start. Let's start. Just some of those conceptual things of what on earth is happiness anyway? 
Great question. And you could probably ask 10 people um, how they would define happiness. And I think you could probably get 10 different answers. And I think to some degree, all of us feel like we know it when we see it or we know it when we feel it. But to actually think about what does it really mean in a deep sense, not just you know in a frivolous way, I think is important to get our hands around. So I think you know when I write about happiness and what I try to draw from is most of the more, you know, I would say, um, you know, positive psychology literature that's, uh, you know, has some stamp, some standing, because I think you'll, even there you'll get some a mixture in terms of quality and in terms of perspectives. But I tend to think of it, and the, the definition I like is you're talking about a combination of three separate ingredients, three interrelated sort of intermixing ingredients that, you know, when we put them together, um, constitute well-being in our lives. Uh, the first does have to do with feeling good. This is the sort of hedonic happiness. This is something the Greeks talked about, right? Where it's, uh, you know, our emotional sense, are we generally feeling more pleasant emotions than unpleasant? You know, either about the past, about the present and the future. Am I able to look forward with hope, look back with contentment, you know, feel good in the here and now, feel joy. So our emotions play a role with any, I think, meaningful definition of happiness, but it's actually the least crucial one. Then you've got evaluative happiness or life satisfaction. And if listeners think about that, I mean, that overlaps, but it's not a one-to-one. You can think of times in your life where you have felt good in a given day, but not felt all that satisfied with where your life was really at as a whole, professionally, personally, relationally, and so forth. So when we step back and we look at the just broader conditions of our life, if I feel satisfied with that, that's more of that second ingredient, evaluative happiness. And then the third is, for many, the, the deepest point in this puzzle, which is around meaning, around purpose, more of that eudaimonic happiness, as it's called. So a sense of purpose, a sense of connection and belonging to something that's bigger than ourselves. Uh, so feeling good, sort of that hedonic piece, that's one. Evaluative happiness, more feeling satisfied, and then the sense of meaning. And I'll just jump one thing that really fascinated me from the start about awe and this emotion of of awe that that really tickled me from the beginning was the fact that it seemed to really directly tap into each of those three ingredients. Um, And even the research started to bear that out of, you know, what it does to us on an emotional level, but also what it does to us in terms of our sense of place in the world, um, the the sense of meaning, purpose, connection, and belonging that that it can grant us. So I think that was, for me, one of the you know, as somebody who likes to think about, write about, you know, explore these questions of of happiness, uh, starting to learn and explore more about uh, the benefits of awe and wonder was uh, that's that, that I remember early on was one of the parts that really resonated with me. Yeah, I love this definition that you've just outlined. Um, I do want to ask, so being a being a musician, uh, a composer, you know, I, some of the most satisfying times that I've had has been in the depths of melancholy, (laughs) writing, you know, something that is tragic and it wouldn't be what you would normally associate with happiness. And yet I wouldn't want to have been in any other state, especially because in that state, the creative output, you know, it's, it's uh, the motivation for the creative output. And, and even if you're not creating a, a piece of music, you're just listening to maybe a, you know, a tragic symphony or something like that. And, and yet these are very satisfying moments. And um, is that kind of, is that a kind of a happiness or, or what would you say? This is a good question because I think uh, to me, it ties very much into that sense of meaning. Um, mm. I think we can come out from those experiences, um, you know, even experiences that brought us great suffering at different points. Like I can think on a personal level, 
multiple parts of life, um, whether it was, you know, a loved one going through a severe health scare, whether it was, you know, a job loss, whether, you know, whatever that might be, that mm. as you're going through it, you're certainly not telling anybody, oh yeah, I'm, I'm feeling happy right now. You wouldn't <laughs> use that word in a, in a million years. But I think as we integrate that into the experience, as we learn about our own resilience, as we gain a, a depth of understanding of our, our world, what others have been through, you know, the strengths that we have in us, a lot of these experiences that, you know, in the moment certainly don't feel good, I think can still, um, you know, lead us to become a more, a happier person, for lack of a better term, as time goes on. Uh, so it's an interesting paradox. I think of it similar, mm. almost the, um, you know, some of the work on post-traumatic growth that's that's emerging that that's yeah. fascinating as well, where you wouldn't ever say to a person like, oh, what you went through was a good thing, quote unquote. Yeah. But you can certainly look back and say, you know, what I emerged from that was a better person, a better version of me. Um, and it's yeah. an interesting paradox when it comes to that. But I think, you know, you brought up the creative process. And I think, you know, if, if we had some sort of thought experiment where we never, you know, listened to music and felt sad or created it and felt those moments of those pangs of regret, uh, if we didn't have those valleys of life, you know, I don't think any of us would or should sign up for that. So I think certainly, you know, we want to make room for that full experience. And I think a lot, you know, coming back to the understanding of happiness, what I often talk about or teach about when I'm working with clients around this is what we're really saying here, or what I'm saying is we wanted to build our mental muscles for well-being without having that be interpreted as we have to find ways to suppress or get rid of the pain. Like, yep. we don't want to live in the painful stuff. But we want to experience it. The harder we try to resist it, the more that we're going to experience it. So it's more about, you know, instead of working that very overdeveloped mental muscle, which is rumination, worry, negativity, which we all do very naturally and very easily, we're saying, okay, we've we've, we've worked on that one a lot. We still it'll still be there. We're not trying to get rid of it, but we're also trying to see the whole picture. Uh develop our capacity for other sorts of emotional states that we can that we can build okay. and develop yeah so that's kind of what yeah would it be fair to say that we we have a yeah. natural capacity to go to the breadths and depths of say melancholy whereas maybe we need to work um you know on breadth and depth of happiness yeah, I think that's that was what took me all those blabbering words to sum up. I think you just did in, in okay. exactly. But yeah, well, I think that that's exactly right. Although I think there's, there's another aspect that my mentor and I, Ernest Rossi, we you know talked a lot about these things. I want to talk about another word he used in a second. But uh, looking at this thing of, of happiness, um, uh, uh, because uh, sadly, you know, we, we lost a, a close uh, a young family member to suicide, which which led me to think about a lot of lot of these things. And I think it it's embraced in 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 the words the, the beautiful three points you brought up there. But just the the wordage we use is when there's a coherence between the inner world and the outer world. Uh, and sort of that things like I'm feeling really melancholy or I'm feeling really stuff, and then you're you're sitting at the the piano playing and you go, oh that's okay now that that um, uh, oh no actually that's that's really good. And personally, I had that experience. I I I, uh, I was in a very very bad situation with uh, I, I was defrauded, uh, and so it was also to do with my career. It, anyway. It was, I felt really, really bad. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm a musician as well, not, not, as, not as skillful as, as Matt. So I improvised a piece on the, on the, the, the keyboards and it recorded it and so I improvised this piece. 
and I would just play it over and over and over uh, in in my head, and because it it was an external thing that made sense to my internal world, and uh, we ended up recording it on a, on a CD, and it's one of my favourite tracks. Not the most popular track, but it's one of my favourite <laughs> tracks because a friend of mine plays the piece. But this um, this lack of coherence, which which is partly what's going on. Because we've got this culture, this this, uh, and there's the the evaluative. Uh, but where where you're externally evaluated, yeah. you lose that sense of of self uh, of self satisfaction. Sort of like, oh, I don't measure up to the outside world, as if the outside world is the is the true one. And I, yeah. I think in in uh, some of the exercises and activities you you've got, you know, particularly in the 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 um, uh, the, the the early one, the happiness toolbox. <laughs> These are some of the things that that you've you've managed to achieve to just help you come back saying, no, 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 how do you feel about you? Uh, can you think off the top of your head sort of a couple of those activities and exercises that that you use to 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 bring that sort of bring you back to self back back to your own uh, sense of who you are? Yeah, well, at first, I think um what you're describing there um was so well said, and I think we, you know, I think we've we've always done this as human beings to you know compare ourselves to what we see around. You know, we're very social creatures. So I think, unfortunately, what has occurred via technology and, and all kinds of other ways is that this, you know, tendency that we've probably had for tens of thousands of years at least to sort of judge ourselves, evaluate ourselves based on those external metrics, has been put completely on steroids by you know the, uh, what we're dealing with in twenty twenty two. And our brains are probably going to take another few thousand years to catch up um, to it. Unfortunately, most of us don't have that much time. Um, so we are dealing with, we're being bombarded with these, you know, messages of all points. And I think what you're really describing too, and some of my, you know, exercises in in that, um, in those books dealing with, I think, around values and strengths, for example, really speak, you know, that, that's what where my mind goes when you're talking about that, as well as some of the gratitude work, because anytime that we can shift from that here's how my life should be, should look like, um, you know, I think to more of this, what really matters to me question, or what are the parts of my life that I should cherish? And I have the capacity to have reverence for and, and derive joy from, uh, even if it's not what that person on social media might be, you know, promoting themselves. So I think anything with, you know, a lot of values work to me, you know, resonates deeply with what you said, where it's about what really matters to me at the end of the day, not the life that my, you know, father wants me to live or that society tells me I should, but, you know, in this finite amount of time that we have on this planet, how do we want to live? And then I think awe comes right into this too, right? The, the capacity to experience wonder and reverence in the face of what is not what should be right to find this incredible you know magic in the everyday um to turn it into something much more more profound instead of getting so caught up with whether it's self-judgments whether it's the shoulds whether it's sort of you know pushing ourselves to live the life that we think we're supposed to live uh because of those external pressures as you said if we can instead step back and say wow what an incredible gift to be alive and how do I want to spend this time and what do I want really matters at the end of the day I think that's one of the gifts that the experience of awe can can give us which I know that we'll we'll talk more about too yeah yeah so can I just ask about being awestruck because yeah. when I think about that word I think that's that's something that um, we don't really have any control over it's just something that 
that happens, you know, um, sort of randomly. We might just be in a situation at a particular time and just see something beautiful and then we're awestruck. Yeah. So I'm imagining now from your work that this is something that we can, um, what's the word, maybe not manufacture, mm. but, um, but pay attention to uh, in, a, in a better way. Yeah, I mean, are we, are we? Do we have things that, are, that are sort of hold us back from mm. this this sort of capacity? Because it's it, it's a natural thing. I mean, I I, I love it. I, I love just going. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. I was talking the other day with with a group, and I was talking about mindfulness. Uh, mm. You know, becoming sort of an inherent thing evolutionarily because of sunset. Uh, that yeah. That, yeah. that and that must that. you know that's an awesome experience that uh, and you know mm-hmm. I, I like to when I travel around uh, I've never seen a sunset that hasn't made me go wow you know mm-hmm. right. Uh, right so uh, sorry I just wanted to jump in there with <laughs> no, that, no, that, that holding back as well what blocks yeah. us where should we go yeah good course so I think my mind's going to a few places based on those threads, but I think first there there is, I'll just say, um, you know, you are, you sound to me like somebody that's particularly um, prone for lack of a word to awe. And there are some individual differences based on anything from personality factors, you know, some of the big five personality factors there, you know, have some predictive value in terms of that. So openness, for example, especially uh, an extroversion, both of which I'm, Guessing you might be uh, a couple of standard deviations up on. Um, well, we, 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 we we help each other with that, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think to, to what you asked earlier, Matt, was, um, you know, I think what I tried to answer in the, in the book was it's a little bit of both. Um, right. That we can't snap our fingers and feel awe, um, which maybe we should, I'll just briefly back up, you know, awe we can define a lot of different ways, kind of like happiness, but the the definition that we'll go with that I you know try to draw from from that research on is um, a combination of we encounter something that's vast that's bigger than ourselves yep. but that also transcends our you know our understanding of the world so it's uh, it's vastness plus transcendence um, put together would be awe and you know you can see how that would apply to a lot of things right it could apply to nature it could apply to a piece of music a work of art a moment of connection in session with a client if you're a therapist it could you know um you know watching your kid take their first steps perhaps there's all kinds of parts of life that would would bring this about um now not everybody you know you can't manufacture it to your point i'll never forget i had a friend from i I grew up in brooklyn new york um which for for uh listeners is a little different than california i moved out to california in the u.s and you have these very big redwood trees in california if you've ever seen those pictures these california redwoods they're 350 feet tall they live thousands of years they're magic they're magical and so i moved you know little old brooklyn boy moved out to california for graduate school and one of the first things i did somebody took me to these beautiful this grove of these old grove redwoods and i was just enthralled it was like love at first sight for me i felt a, a profound sense of awe in those just the ancientness the beauty so when i had a friend visit from new york uh, a couple of weeks after i moved out and a good buddy of mine he said you know i want you to take me to some you know what take me on some california things to do i'm thinking to myself i don't know what that means surfing or wineries like what's california i was just getting to know california um but then I was like, oh, well, what about those redwoods? Like, I've never seen anything like that. That will blow his mind. All we have is concrete and, and skyscrapers yeah. in New York. This will, this will be amazing. So we start walking through the woods, and uh, I'm just in silence. I'm, I'm in awe. Five, ten minutes in, 
he turns to me, he says, so is there anything to see here besides the trees? Um, <laughs> it just fell very yeah. flat. But what, yeah. what gives me awe might give you or somebody yeah. else or a shrug. Now, what I tend to think about when I'm talking about it with audiences, with clients or whoever is, we want to do a couple of things. We want to, number one, put ourselves in more positions in life to experience this emotion, right. um, knowing that you know you could go to the Great Barrier Reef, and if you're having a crappy day at work uh, or your mind is somewhere else, you may not experience awe from even one of those you know wonders of the world, but you might, right? And you certainly have a better chance of experiencing it uh, there than you would sitting in front of your you know, computer or, you know, behind four walls and a, and a ceiling. Mm. So I think one thing is just, you know, how do we each day if possible, even if it's just a walk around the block that we take some time to notice, even if it's knowing that, okay, sunset's coming. Cause you mentioned that, how do I maybe once a week go out to a place that could, you know, even if it's a 15 minute trip from where I live to go see that and like, to put ourselves in more positions. But I think the other piece, which ties into mindfulness, like you said too, is, about the fact that we sometimes think a lot about these, I call them capital A awe moments, like Great Barrier Reef and, you know, Grand Canyon here in the U.S. or Uluru or any of these places. And you, you know, I think we forget sometimes that the everyday stuff is just as magical. We just don't tend to think of it that way. Um, mm, mm. We can be wherever we find ourselves in this conversation, even like the fact that we're having this conversation, how many time zones away? Yeah. through technology like this, that yeah. it's mind-blowing. So is it, because um, I've been writing a little bit about attention and perception um, mm -hmm. based on Ian McGilchrist's work on left and right uh -huh. brain. Uh -huh. And it yeah. sounds to me that um, this is a, a, an attention and perception issue. Um, and it does sound like uh, certainly the, the left hemisphere wouldn't have, um, you know, any appreciation for what, what did you say, vastness and transcendence that just doesn't yeah. compute. Um, so it's definitely a right hemisphere um, mm -hmm. sort of capacity, which, you know, maybe is the reason why a personality like Richard is is in awe <laughs> way more than <laughs> the average someone else. Yeah, because I, this is what's exciting me there. I'm sorry because I mean, I'm, I'm jabbing at the bit. But wonder is that left hemisphere uh, uh, springboard um, mm. in many respects. We, I do this with my, my granddaughter all the time, uh, the, or the left hemisphere form of wonder in the sense of specifics mm. and details. Mm. And with yeah. my granddaughter, uh, we used to wander around, walking around the street, and I would uh, make things make noises. I would find the noises in things for you know a metal plate on the ground i'd stamp it to see what it has a, a post i would i would uh, hit it with my uh, fingers to hear what it's at and then we'd hit the thing and the post and the something <laughs> and it was that sort of pragmatic sort of functional uh, activity that led to a, a sense of oh my god these things are more and then we start creating music with these sounds and just recently she's only five now but just recently we were walking out and she was walking past a series of posts and a couple of things and I could see her hitting them as we went along and I thought you're looking for the the awesomeness you're looking for the 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 wonder uh, even when it's not apparent. Uh, yeah. So yeah. that's one of the things that holds us back is the lack of wonder that we uh, uh, that we seem to have. That was so beautiful, and I think to to what you all said too early. Like my friend who who I took to redwoods. I'll just go back to him for a moment. He he didn't get much from those woods, 
but he's more of an engineer and there are mm-hmm. things that absolutely fill him and mesmerize him with this yeah. just wow how incredible let me tell you about this energy that for me might go right over my head just based on how <laughs> I'm wired and you know so I think you know for some it's 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 looking out at this beautiful vista and this expanse uh, and feeling yeah. small for others it might be something like learning about you know the universe learning that there's more you know stars above than there are grains of sand on planet earth and how yeah. does that yeah get and i think there's sort of like the initial burst of awe that we feel followed by that sense of curiosity and we can get off from that too like uh i got one of my pandemic um hobbies i guess you know uh Every country where you're listening probably has different experiences of this. But when everything was shut down here in the States, although we didn't do a great job of that either, um, we, um, you know, I picked up um, a telescope and I started to get really into it. And what I noticed was really was fascinating was I would experience that sense of awe just from the purely visual experience, looking up and seeing the night sky. But then I started to ask questions that followed that of like, well, what's happening up there? Like, how far away is that? That light that I'm seeing, how many you know years away is that light, you know, distance-wise from here? And how does how does that star up there get formed? And so your mind starts to go to these sort of second-order awe places yeah. sometimes, where it's you're in awe of the actual initial experience, but then I think tapping into that the, the magic of curiosity from that can take you to yeah. all kinds of places as well. Yeah. And that's your left hemisphere stuff, That's yeah. building. It's building on the whole picture, though, isn't it? So, uh, yeah. So the appreciation for the right goes to the left. Drill down to details. Back to the right. Bigger picture. Well, now I have to say, because Richard, you mentioned about um, you know words being hijacked. Mm-hmm. I am the worst person for saying awesome to just yeah. about anything. Someone, awesome. someone says, "Oh yeah, I'll get that piece of um, you know, I'll get that uh, article back to you very soon." Oh, awesome! Like, yeah, this hot dog, <laughs> awesome! Yeah. <laughs> so, so, my apologies to the world for diluting the word awesome. <laughs> You're not alone. Don't worry. And, and I think, and I do too. But just, just quickly in, in, in the thing, because diluting it is the stuff. There's just one thing I think I'd like to hear your, your thoughts, uh, because I I actually think the, the this word that I'm going to say has been related to awe is actually uh, a, a judgmental word, and it's it's more about uh, a, a human culture and various other aspects, because I think it's these this nature of, uh, of the tremendousness, the the extraordinary in the the spiritual things, the numinosum, all these sorts of stuff. But some people define uh, awe as a combination of curiosity and fear, mm-hmm. and that always worried me. I, I get it, I get it, yeah. but uh, I'm not af- I'm not afraid of the grandness and and the things. I'm astounded at the various other aspects. But this thing of of fear, it's a very humanistic modern culture that, you know, there are things that are unsafe about wonder, about wondrousness. Mm. Have you had any thoughts about that or had any issues in in the therapy room with people who are afraid of sunsets because they make them feel too insignificant and so on and so forth? Yeah. I mean, a lot of interesting threads there too i mean like words change right as we know in terms of definitions too and even the word awe itself the actual word initially for hundreds of years really was a much more negative connotation having more to do with like fright and terror yes sort of awe, you know yeah, yeah. yeah and then it changed you know over over time like words do and it became more positive and it was also for a lot of time just a purely religious 
word. It was only meant to really signify your, you know, relation to the divine. Just thinking about the two examples for earlier, by the way, I just have to throw in, like, it was in the uh, 1700s that two philosophers uh, came along and were like, well, actually, awe isn't just religion. You can feel it through symphonies. You can experience it through sunsets. And it was Edmund Burke and Immanuel Kant who listened to but but interestingly it was Burke who was like you can hear it through thunder and you know animals and Kant was like well you can also get it through ideas and through learning expand mind expansive topics and things like that and by the like here we are hundreds of years later like so much just trying to catching up to these people and be like oh they were right you know, 300 years ago. And it turns out they, they were, <laughs> That's uh, they, they were okay. Yeah. They were right. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. Great ideas do take that time, don't they? Yeah. Well, and you know, we're, we're still talking about uh, cognitive therapy 2,500 years after mm-hmm. Epictetus and others. So I think we're smart people were, are usually ahead of the time. And then we just have to catch up with our mortal brains. <laughs> uh, so in terms of the, the, the negative and, and so a couple of things there, one, you know, the definition even I gave you of vastness plus transcendence doesn't have to be good, right, in, mm. in terms of balance. Um, so it's actually meant to be a little bit more of a neutral description. About 85% of the time when people say, like, hey, when's the last time you felt a sense of awe? The answer you get back is something good. But about 15% of the time, it's actually not. So like you could be in awe of these, you know, footage of a forest fire or of a grizzly bear charging i, I got charged yeah. on, a, on a hike a couple of years ago that i write about in the book and that was an inspiring experience now luckily it was a bluff charge otherwise i wouldn't be having this conversation with you yeah. you got within about 10 15 feet of my wife and i and um you know to see her run at the speed that she did was all inspiring but i would never want to repeat it again I, and once was enough once was plenty so Awe can be, you know, awful uh, to be cheesy and, and and use that term. But to your other point, too, I think this is where a lot of the individual stuff comes in. Like, I have, you know, I have run into what you've described, too, where some of these sources of awe lead us to feel small, lead us to feel at times insignificant. Uh, there's even something in that research on awe called the small self effect, which is exactly as it sounds. It means that when we experience a, a sense of wonder and awe, we tend to feel and we have like, looked at our look at ourselves as being smaller than prior to that experience in the grand scheme of things. And you know, for some people that can be threatening. For some people that can be very scary. Others, it's like, wow, how cool! I get to be part of this, you know, vast thing. But you know, I think for for some people, they may not get sort of a good feeling of awe looking out at the infinite vastness of the ocean. They might get it though through, you know, listening to a beautiful piece of music or, or you know, going to an art gallery or looking at architecture that they're like, how did that person think up and then build that amazing building? So there's just not a one size fits all that, um, that I think is good to remember too. Yeah. When it comes to it. It's terribly important for the therapist to, to be attuned and to be aware um, that that would be the case. Now, yeah, I, um, I, I, Simon, I just quickly because yeah. I, I just I used to I like to go on cruise ships every now and again. I worked on one when I was younger, and I do remember standing on a cruise ship in the middle of the ocean, sort of saying, "We could be over there, and it would be exactly the same." And there was a particular, you know, awesome sort of feeling. But if I was on a tiny little raft because uh-huh. I was marooned, you know, whatever, and I'd say, "My God, I could be over there. I could be anywhere." It would be. It would have that 
awesome but fearfulness side of it. So it is about personal safety. So I think when yeah, when you yeah. find that thing, you, you check in with why you don't feel safe. Um, yeah, is all. Yeah. That was that was just a little thought that just sort of passed through my head listening to your <laughs> fabulous uh, discussion there, Jonah. Sorry, well, man. No, Sorry. no, no, you're right. My, my memory of cruising was as a 10-year-old and in an awesome storm, which was totally freaky out in the middle of oh. nowhere. And yeah, so um, yeah. Jonah, give us um, one or two practical exercises that we can do in the therapy room. And I think we might be able to wrap it up with that. Yeah. So I think if we stay on the awe theme, um, you know, as I said earlier, we don't have to go to any far off distant lands. If you can, great, but that's not the idea. What I, you know, one one thing I often encourage people to think about is sort of fusing awe with just this sense of mindfulness and appreciation, however you want to think about that, to think about how many things just in your field of vision right now in this moment, and you could even do this at home if you're a listener. It sounds so simple, but it can actually, if you be a little bit of a screw with your mind, just look around wherever you are, field of vision, and how many things can you pick up that would be absolutely futuristic to somebody from even 50 years ago? Mm. And how would they make sense of what you have? And then 500 years ago, and then 5,000 years ago, and then 50,000 years ago. And to just try to recognize every day on a very basic level, how many activities do we engage in? How many parts of our life do we interact with that just would be downright like the Jetsons and futuristic to almost 99.99 carry the 9% of human existence? And then, so I think that's one way to say like, wow, this, this thing that I do every day and take for granted is actually magical. So I think that's one sort of simple wherever you are type, you know, you have to go anywhere for it. It's just sort of something to think about. Building the pyramids, how much help would this have been? <laughs> exactly. Ah, wow. So, I never thought about it. Yeah, so cool. many things that are mind-blowing that, uh, that we just tend to take for granted. Um, yeah. And then I think in a simpler vein, you know, if any of us, even on the hard days, if we step back and we think to ourselves, how many things had to line up exactly so for any of us to have this experience right now that we're having, even difficult experiences. Like if you start to think about how many ancestors of generations had to survive long enough without getting eaten by a saber-toothed tiger, how many near-death experiences had to be survived? How many, you know, how did the particular uh, sperm get together with a particular egg? Some readers, some listeners don't want to think too hard about that maybe, but like, you know, you start to think about times where, you know, basically so much of even once we were born could have gone in different directions and yet to have this moment right here and right now like the odds are as close to zero as you get without being zero and i think when we see things through that through that kind of vein through that kind of lens even difficult challenging moments can be seen as in their own way i hate to say it but a gift to even have any experience let alone that one and let alone the joyous moments can become that much more sweet. So I think stepping back and really doing you know that. And then I think the third, if I have time for just one more, is just the simplest one, which is, uh, and I saw that you had a recent um, episode on this as well, but just, you know, we now are, are learning so much about sort of the, the psychological benefits of being in nature and being outdoors. And yeah. uh, that, that's a whole other interesting branch of research, but where it overlaps a lot is people have shown, you know, some of these studies have shown that the more awe that we experience in nature, the more of those psychological and health benefits that we get. So, you know, I think if we can connect to the natural world, which I think so much of a lot of our current struggles 
are at least contributed by this disconnect from the natural world, that if we can find small ways to feel a little bit more connected to it, and especially when it taps into that that experience of awe, we'll be a lot better off for it in terms of our mental health, physical health, all the benefits that I write about in the book in terms of feeling connection and, you know, boost to our mood and our sense of meaning and even our health inflammation. We didn't touch on that, but, you know, there's interesting research showing that when we experience awe, it might even have these anti-inflammatory effects uh, on our body as well. So all kinds of interesting stuff that, um, you know, I think, but I, I'd say if listeners leave with one sort of moral of the story, it's just that these moments, as brief as they feel, turn out to matter a lot more than we sometimes think. And if we can just find ways to connect with those experiences a little more than we are right now, we'll be better off for it. That's just wonderful. And actually, uh, uh, my group have been doing some of that genetic work with uh, uh, with that pneumonosa manure. And, and yes, it does. Uh-huh. It's fantastic for inflammatory stuff. Uh, yeah. much, more, much more work to do. That, that just uh, is just so beautiful. And I, I was actually just being a bit awestruck by the uh, the happenstances that actually uh, through the central thing of John Arden uh, brought <laughs> us three together Absolutely. That, that allowed this conversation to emerge and for some of those beautiful things you said today to actually now go out so there's just this this flow uh this flow and I, I, I was just uh, feeling that like oh my god I'm part of a a, a sort of a, a set of movements that someone will be listening to this at some stage and they'll get something and that'll continue on. So or is that ever continuance of uh, uh, of our contributions. So, oh, I'm feeling a bit, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for Thank joining you. us and transporting yeah. me in those last few moments. And and Matt, I know, is, uh, uh, you know that we're, we both really appreciate you, you giving us the time. Let people know where they can find you. Sure. Oh, yeah, so, real practical stuff. Thank God. Yeah, for that. Real, and real practical. Just a, a, a huge thank you to both of you. Um, yeah, it's funny how things come together. And, you know, I'm grateful to John, to John Harden, who you mentioned for connecting us. And uh, yes, I remember I taught fond memories, by the way, teaching in a um, uh, few different cities in Australia. It's one of the, my favorite places I've ever visited. If I ever come back, I'll definitely look you both up. Oh, yeah. Full of a beer. No, yeah. for sure. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but yes, um, yes, you can find me at uh, jonahpaquette.com, full name, jonahpaquette.com. Um, and then you can uh, find me as well on um, social media. I'm Jonah Paquette's ID on Instagram, uh, Dr. Paquette, all spelled out on Facebook, and same for uh, for Twitter. So, yeah, feel free to uh, reach out, any listeners, uh, to connect me with, with me there. And, yeah, huge thanks to you both for having me on. Fantastic. We'll put those links in the show notes. Thanks once again, and uh, I hope it's not the, the first and last. I hope we do catch up further down the track. Totally. For sure. Beautiful. Thank you. Bye for now. Oh, wow, Richard, I just love that conversation. What an awe-inspiring <laughs> conversation yeah. it was. And what I really love is that this appreciation of the, what did he say, vastness and transcendence is, as we've been talking about when we talk about left and right hemispheres, this is a this is a right hemispheric appreciation of the world. And I think we need more of that. So I would encourage everybody to check out this book, Awestruck, How Embracing Wonder Can Make You Happier, Healthier, and More Connected. 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you actually uh, did the end. I usually do the end, but I'm a bit, I'm a bit default by network. I'm a, I'm a bit floaty right. at the moment. I really, <laughs> really uh, enjoyed his his last discussion. It really sent me off thinking and and wondering. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, you know, thank you to Jonah. Thank you to everyone for being here. Thank for the, uh, thank you for those who are members. Thank you for those who are considering coming in being members. Thank yep. you for those who might come along and just join our tribe through our through our uh, open membership. Let's. Uh, just talk together, be together. Let's connect together. Let's see if we can raise awe in each other. What a what a wonderful thing! Fantastic. Thank you, everybody, for joining us here on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. For more great science, go to the scienceofpsychotherapy.com.